a little uh, article um, that uh, really relates to what we've been studying ever since we entered into the 10th chapter of the book of Proverbs, which basically, as you know, has been a contrast between the righteous and the wicked, between the good man and the bad man, between the one that walks with God and the one that doesn't walk with God. And uh, back in 1872, uh, F.W. Emmons uh, wrote this based basically on the uh, on the book of Proverbs. I want you to just listen to, to it, and uh, or to half of it, and then I'll explain the other half in a minute. One side, if I had it displayed up here, on one side we put the good man like we've done so often, the other side the evil man. But now listen to this. He is an old and experienced man. In vice and wickedness he is never found. Opposing the work of iniquity he takes delight. In the downfall of his neighbor, he never rejoices. In the prosperity of any of his fellow creatures, he is ready to assist. In destroying the peace of society, he takes no pleasure. In serving the Lord, he is uncommonly diligent. In sowing discord among his friends and acquaintances, he takes no pride. In laboring to promote the cause of Christianity, he has not been negligent. In endeavoring to stigmatize all public teachers, he makes no exertions. To subdue his passions, he strives hard. To build up Satan's kingdom, he lends no aid. To the support of the gospel among the heathen, he contributes largely. To the evil adversary, he pays no attention. To good advice, he gives great heed. To the devil, he will never go. To heaven, he must go where he will receive the just recompense of his reward. Good description of the good man. Now, the evil man is exactly the same, except for punctuation. It's exactly the same thing. By the way, I'll give you a copy of this in your notes uh, when, you, when you get them on chapter 11. But uh, just listen, same words, exactly. Not a single word different. The punctuation is different. He is an old and experienced man in vice and wickedness. He has never found opposing the work of iniquity. He takes delight in the downfall of his neighbor. He never rejoices in the prosperity of any of his fellow creatures. He is always ready to assist in destroying the peace of society. He takes no pleasure in serving the, the Lord. He is uncommonly diligent in sowing discord among his friends and acquaintances. He takes no pride in laboring to promote the cause of Christianity. He has not been negligent in endeavoring to stigmatize all public teachers. He makes no exertions to subdue his passions. He strives hard to build up Satan's kingdom. He lends no, it lends no aid to support the gospel among the heathen. He contributes largely to the evil adversary. He pays no attention to good advice. He gives great heed to the devil. He will never go to heaven. He must go where he will receive the just recompense of his reward. Now the fascinating thing is that it's exactly the same words. It's just simply a matter of where you put the verbs actually. And uh, the result is that you have the good man contrasting the righteous man. You go through the book of Proverbs, you, you realize 
that that's precisely what you run into. That basically it is a, a, a negative conduct, a positive conduct in the same area. We find that time after time after time. So I thought you might enjoy just that extra little piece that uh, we found this last week. All right, now we're in verse 10 of Proverbs chapter 11. I hope you'll turn with us as we continue to explore these very, very important Proverbs, 375 of them in the uh, beginning of chapter 10 to chapter 22, 16. Virtually 375 or 300 plus um, uh, different subjects, all of which can be studied extensively in Scripture. Now in verse 10 and verse 10 and 11 coupled together, it says, and I'll read both verses, when it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. And when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Again, a contrast between the righteous, the Sadak man, and the wicked, or the raw man. The right and the wrong. Verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Now, the Word of God is is very, very clear in terms of uh, God's position in the matter of separation of church and state. Uh, that term, which uh, really uh, was uh, rooted in Reformation thought in the 15th century, uh, is, is so greatly misunderstood today, it's unbelievable. Um, just by the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, uh, indicates that the Christians have influence in every area of society. And uh, uh, there is a panic today to make sure that, that religion in no way influences political decisions and political thought and political idea. But that is not a biblical concept. The Word of God says that the, the person who walks with God will always have an impact upon the city, upon the state, upon the, the, the society that is round about him. And I think we need to be awake and aware of that and realize that, that there is a tremendous need for righteousness in high places. Uh, and uh, I think that it's, it's important that we, uh, that we uh, uh, have some have some involvement and some, uh, some uh, um, real ministry there. Um, some of you know Bob Harriet, and Bob is here this morning, incidentally. Uh, he is uh, doing a gutsy thing just as a Christian in that he's running for Congress. And um, you know, who's, who's Bob Harriet? Never heard of him. Well, I hope you hear of him. Uh, a lot of you don't live in the district where he's running, but it's, it's exciting to me to see a guy who has committed his life to Jesus Christ, um, uh, being called of God, if you please, to go into that arena. Uh, it's like the arena in Rome where you're thrown to lions, but nevertheless, that's the arena to which he's called. And um, you never know, uh, you know what the Lord has in mind, but uh, a lot of times things that we, that we should be doing in the area of ministry are really lost by default, lost because we don't show up, because we're not sensitive to God's plan and God's will. 
If you don't believe that God can call a guy to be a politician, just as surely as he calls him to be a plumber or a preacher, uh, then you don't understand scripture. Because God calls men on all levels, in all occupations, as long as the occupation has a degree of legitimacy. And some people would question whether that's true of politicians, but it depends on the politician. I'm sure you understand, all right? Now, we have, we have beginning here in verse 10 then, this concept and idea of the influence of the righteous on society. And remember, the city was the center of activity. The city was the place that would be today the, the, the state, if you please, or the, the government. And uh, so when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. There's an influence. There's an impact. And by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. We know that righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Now, what we have here is another one of those, uh, those dish sticks. And I want to call that to your attention once more, just so that you get the, um, the picture of what we're talking about. Uh, remember that when we're dealing with, with Hebrew literature and Hebrew poetry, we're dealing with what we call parallelisms. Now, the way they didn't rhyme their words in their poetry, but rather they, they rhymed ideas. And uh, they, would, they would set an idea against another idea. And you have, uh, you have what you call synonymous. Um, should be. Synonymous. Uh, Distich. It's uh, where you give, a, you give a line of truth. Then you repeat it in different words. Same thing, basically, it says the same thing, and then it's repeated. That's the synonymous. Then you have the synthetic. Synthetic dishtick is uh, the part of, is, uh, comes from that idea of uh, synthesizing a combination of several different parts uh, put together to form a whole. So the, in the synthetic dishtick, you have a, a line of doctrine. And then you have a second line which further develops the doctrine and uh, gives to it additional uh, doctrine, synthesizing it. He that, uh, Proverbs 10, verse 18, we saw one of those there. He that hideth hatred has lying lips, and he that uttereth slander is a fool. You have lying lips if you utter hatred, if you hide hatred. But, uh, and at the same time, not a contrast, but you add to that, he that uttereth slander is a fool. Um, Psalm 95 verse 3 is another, another verse that uh, uh, is, a, is a synthetic dishtick. Uh, he says, uh, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Give a doctrine, add additional doctrine. And the one that's most common in the book of Proverbs, and we've seen many of these, is the antithetical. That's where you have a contrast. First line, uh, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. But then it, whatever comes second uh, is the contrast. The sound hard is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. Uh, that's a contrasting parallelism. All right? And then there's a fourth kind, what we call emblematic. 
sometimes it's called parabolic as well. In this uh, distich, uh, one line gives the teaching, uh, the uh, didactic, and the second illustrates it. And that's, a, that's an interesting kind of parallelism because you have the doctrine, then you have the illustration. Um, for instance, sometimes the illustration comes first and then the doctrine. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 11:22, as a jewel of gold in the wine snout. That's the illustration. So is the fair woman who is without discretion. So the truth, the uh, teaching statement is, a fair woman without discretion is a bad thing. Uh, then the illustration is, it's like the jewel of gold in a swine's snout. So that's the emblematic. Then you have the, what's called the climactic. Right? Climactic. Where the second line repeats the first, but with an added climax to it. For instance, uh, a lot of these in the Psalms, because they make good choral music in the Hebrew. All right, Psalm 29, verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Hear the added climax? Give unto the Lord, said twice, but with the added climax. Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. There's the statement. Now listen. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. And then again, praise him in the heights, adding a synonymous distich to it in a, a special climactic form, all right? That's not used too often in Scripture, but it's one of the parallelisms. Then here's another one, integral. Integral, the first line starts a thought, the second line completes the thought. Proverbs 13, 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You know, that's a complete statement written in parallel form, like poetry, but nevertheless, it, it, the first line just simply starts an idea. Then the idea is carried out in the second line. Then there's the comparative. The comparative district uh, usually uses the word better in it. That's the best way to find it, all right? Where um, Proverbs 15, 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Or Psalm 37, 16, a little with the righteous, the righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. There are at least 20 of those in the book of Proverbs, the comparative. And then finally, there's the formal. The formal dishtick. Two lines are joined simply by meet, meet metric uh, consideration. Psalm 2.6, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. There's a rhythm to it. It's much more like uh, the poetry that we uh, would use today uh, as far as uh, English poetry and so on. So there you have the, the eight kinds of dishtick. Now you can't always determine what it is. It's not terribly important uh, to uh, always be able to distinguish it. You'll even find disagreement among scholars uh, who are studying the, the wisdom literature and the poetic books. They'll find, you'll find a, a, a contrast uh, between them. Now, if you look again at our verse, when it goeth well with the righteous city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, they're shouting. It's one of those, it's, it's hard sometimes to tell because there's a certain antithetical idea here. It is a contrast, okay? 
does not use the usual conjunction for a contrast. That doesn't mean it's not a legitimate contrast. Um, there are some that say that it's synthetic, that it presents the truth and then adds to the truth, in this case in a negative sense. That's possible. Some even say that it's synonymous. Uh, truth is just repeated in different words. In this case, the different words are contrasting, saying the same thing except from the negative standpoint. And uh, so you may not be able to always arrive at uh, what it is precisely, but those are the three possibilities uh, with this particular proverb. So let's look at it now. When it goeth well, the word well is the word tube, right? Tube means good as used in the widest sense. Uh, that is uh, prosperity. Uh, Jerusalem uh, is uh, um, spoken, uh, the Jerusalem Bible uses this idea uh, when it says when virtuous men prosper, um, not using the usual idea of the righteous man, uh, but rather the, the virtuous man. Uh, there's another word that is generally translated virtuous, so that may not be the best translation, but the idea is that the man uh, the man is, is uh, on God's side. The man is, uh, is, is uh, um, doing the right thing. And it's going well with him. It's going, he is prospering in the process. Now, again, the, the idea of tube really has five general meanings, all right? Number one, it's practical. That is, it's speaking of economy, the economic or material good. And uh, that can be, be uh, the thought here. Secondly, there's abstract goodness. That is beauty or pleasantness. The word is often used that way. Thirdly, it can be quality or value, expense, cost, that sort of thing. Uh, number four, it can be moral goodness. And number five, technical, philosophical good. So there are five different possibilities here. Interesting feature of tube is that it's difficult to discern the adjective from the verb. And in this verse, the first phrase would be without a verb unless tube were taken as a verb. Because there, there is uh, no word goeth in the text at all. It does, it, the, the text says uh, when it goeth well, but it really is when well. All right? Uh, the English doesn't read well that way. We've got to add something. We don't like verblessness. Uh, the Hebrew often used verblessness for special emphasis. And so therefore, um, we, would, we would translate here the text, uh, goeth well uh, as a verb. It means that the person is prosperous. He's happy. Uh, you look with me over at Psalm 34. In verse 12, it's, I think, important to uh, sort of see God's viewpoint of this idea of good, all right? Um, verse 11 of Psalm 34 says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he who desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Then he gives him the formula for this good, keep thy tongue from evil, thy lips from speaking guile. You'll recognize that this was quoted in 1 Peter chapter 3 as a, a, a very important aspect in regard to relationships between people. But it's that idea of seeing good. 
Um, and uh, it's used in, in terms of prosperity here and in, in many, many other places. And there's a condition involved. And the condition is that uh, you keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking guile, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The man who loves days and, and wants to seek good and does it God's way keeps all of these things that he's laid before him. That individual is, is considered to be in this category of the Siddiq man, the righteous man that we've seen so often. And his ears also are open to his cry. In other words, the, the idea of prosperity in and of itself is not wrong, particularly as the Old Testament viewed it. Uh, the Old Testament, of course, primarily brings forth the idea of God's people as an earthly people, whereas in the New Testament, it's primarily a heavenly people. Um, and uh, we, uh, we cannot carry over the entire idea saying that it is always good and always right for Christians to have a lot of money. In the Old Testament, uh, the money, the prosperity, was an, it was a picture, an example of, uh, of the blessing of God in many, many cases, unless it was ill-got gain. And uh, so you, you, you have to understand that contrast because we're to lay up treasure in heaven. But nevertheless, the idea of the Christian prospering is clearly a New Testament idea as well. Uh, that's why you have passages like 1 Timothy chapter 6, where it deals with specifically with the rich and getting their values straight. And uh, there is no direct promise that all Christians are going to be rich. Uh, that would be a contradiction from reality, wouldn't it? Uh, but nevertheless, the idea of um, prosperity for the believer is uh, inherent in Scripture. So uh, Psalm 34 and verse 12 uh, is a good explanation of this whole matter of, 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 of the good. Now, when... When uh, it goeth well, when, the, when there's prosperity with a certain, in, certain kind of individual, uh, the city rejoices. When it goes well with the righteous. Here's the word righteous again. Just giving you the transliteration of it, Sadiq. It means correct according to a standard. It means conformity to an ethical standard or moral standard, uh, whichever. Uh, the idea of of uh, morality from God's point of view is really the thing that's brought there. And it's based on the character of God as an absolute standard. The, it, we're not talking about a nebulous standard. There was no nebulous standard for righteousness in the Old Testament. There's no nebulous standard for righteousness in the New Testament. The idea of righteousness is inseparably linked to the character of God. Something is right because the God who created the world and made us and uh, gave us life and gave us redemption is indeed uh, the, the standard uh, by which we can judge the conduct of men. Something that's contrary to God's plan and God's will is unrighteous. Something that is in keeping with God's plan and God's will is righteous. And it's a very, very clear thing. Uh, as far as Scripture is concerned, it's black and white. And as, uh, anything that is, uh, is not certain is, uh, is not, uh, uh, either you don't understand uh, the character of God, uh, or it is something that, that is in a neutral area, in an area where, uh, where it is amoral, where there is no specific morality, one way or the other. 
I mean, uh, if you got up on the left side of the bed this morning or on the right side of the bed, it depends uh, uh, entirely on which side of the bed you slept on, probably, right? There's no morality to that, necessarily. It does not have anything to do with the character of God. You can't say, oh, I, I don't want to miss God's will, therefore I'm going to make sure I get out on the right side of the bed. Um, now, if you did that figuratively and got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning uh, from the standpoint of your disposition, that's a different matter. But uh, the practical idea of climbing out of bed, God doesn't say every Christian should get out on the right side of the bed. There's a right and a wrong there. That's amoral. And there are things in life like that. But there's not very many, really. Because most things have a moral implication. And it is, it is right to do one thing. It is wrong to do something else. And we, we base, we base the, the, even the attitudes of society are greatly influenced by the character of God and our, our comparison uh, with what we're actually doing in society and, uh, and God. Righteousness exalts a nation. The right living according to that standard uh, exalts a nation. God, God's blessing is to be upon the nation in which we live. Then there has to be a, uh, a righteous standard upheld. Unfortunately, our nation seems to be headed many times uh, toward a, a different direction entirely. Now Psalm 145 verse 17 says this, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. That is the, the, the clear declaration of the righteousness of God. And uh, if we are to be righteous, it is according to that righteous standard that God has set down that has to do with his own character. In the final analysis, the, the righteous individual is the one who, who commits himself to serve the Lord. Uh, go over to Malachi with me. Malachi 3 and verse 18. Here we have a, a picture of uh, the righteous and the wicked contrasted, all right? It says this, Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. Right? Now, how do we determine between the righteous and the wicked? How can we make that contrast? Well, there's a lot of things in Scripture. But Malachi simplifies it for us. Or simplifies it for us. Between him that serves God and him that serves him not. There you are. The man that serves God is the one who is declared in the Old Testament the righteous man. And the one who doesn't serve him is the unrighteous man or is not the righteous man. I think it's, it's important to mention again, just in case you're new with us this morning, that when we are speaking of righteousness in this way, we are speaking of practical righteousness. Um, scripture says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. God cannot accept our righteousness. Our righteousness does not measure up to his standard ever. From the standpoint of, of our position with God, we have to have what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. That is, uh, we are come to God totally bankrupt without any righteousness of our own. Nothing in my hand I bring as the song says, simply to thy cross I cling. We have no, uh, in us dwells no good thing. 
And we, we come to God empty-handed with no righteousness of our own. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, is allowed to be credited to our account as we place faith in Him. So that His righteousness become, becomes our righteousness. Dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Again, the songwriter says, No righteousness of my own, but I stand faultless before God, justified before Him, because I am in Christ. All right? 